Thank you, Dustin. I uh, really appreciate you filling in. In case you didn't know, this is Dustin Daly. He's uh, led uh, before, and he's leading us today, and I appreciate him. CJ and Nikki are in Southeast Asia, since this is being recorded, uh, visiting with uh, Chris and Suzanne Morrison. They're out. They're getting ready to go back to their ministry base, and so in his absence, uh, Dustin has stepped in, and I appreciate him and the good job that he's done this morning. We're going to read our scripture in just a few moments ago. You see it there in your outline. I hope you'll turn there and be ready to stand and read with me. But uh, I, I just want to say something about the book of James and what we've been trying to do and why this is so important and the baptisms that we saw today. I've seen a lot of baptisms through the years. I've done a lot of baptisms through the years. I've seen a lot of people, young men, young women, older, middle-aged, all ages children, who gave their lives, as far as they knew, to the Lord Jesus Christ, were baptized and started out so well and started out so strong. But it's always a very sobering thing to realize that Along the way, some of you, some of you here in this room, in five years, in ten years, in twenty years, may not be walking with the Lord anymore. This last week, or maybe a week before, saw a news article. It's becoming a, a little bit more open, and uh, a young man. Well, he's a middle-aged man now, by the name of Joshua Harris. Anybody ever heard of Joshua Harris? Wrote a book entitled, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Very popular. I'm sure Jason read it. Some of the kids in that age range read it. And, and it meant a lot. Joshua was raised in a Christian home, homeschooled. And uh, at 1921, started writing, and he wrote this book, and he's written to others, became a pastor, and this last week, and in fact, even this morning, there was an article that uh, indicates that Joshua Harris has now kissed his marriage goodbye. His marriage to his wife has turned his back on that and kissed his faith in Christ goodbye. Decided that he is no longer a Christian. And sometimes people have asked, it's happened in this church, it's happened before. What, what, what is that? Well, John gives us a little bit of insight in his epistle. So we have to, to, to realize something, and it's a stark reality. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, because if they had been of us, they would have remained. But they've gone out to show the reality. Not that they lost faith, but in reality that they never had it. And that's why Peter says this, Therefore, brothers, sisters, children, young people, all of you here, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. And the book of James has everything to do with this. If you look at the big idea, 
of the entire book. What is it? What have we been studying for the last now 33 messages through the book of James? The big idea is that faith works. That genuine saving faith, the faith that, that the Bible calls born again, that we become new creations in Christ. That kind of true, genuine, saving faith grows. There will be periods of ups and downs, but it grows and it increasingly reveals itself in practical, God-honoring, gospel-centered living. And I'm telling you this because nothing could be more frustrating than to to come to church and not be truly converted and be told week after week, this is what the Christian life looks like. Now, go out and try to live it. Nothing could be more frustrating to try to do that and not be a true child of God. And that's what James is trying to say over and over again to us in this epistle, in this letter that he writes not only to Christians who lived back then, but to Christians who live now. So let's stand together and read this passage of Scripture. You see the big idea of today's message. This is incredibly important to all of us. This, this kind of as he, he's beginning to wrap things up, he stands back and he takes a look at all of life. Anything that life could contain is talked about in this passage of Scripture Chapter 5, starting with verse 13 and going down to the first part of verse 16. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. As I pray this morning, I want to pray for several things. Obviously, the events of the last couple of days They are just raw, and I want to pray for those who have survived those awful shootings, for the families of those who lost loved ones. We want to pray for tonight our ministry to Will Rogers. I hope you're signed up for that, or if you're not, just come and be a part of that. We're going to pray for that. And and then we're going to pray for uh, Angela Cooksey. Angela, would you wave your hand? She's sitting right back here. Angela, we support her. She's in the ministry of crew, and she's leaving tomorrow morning at 8 in the morning, and she's traveling all the way to Moscow, and she'll be in ministry there learning the Russian language. And you've already started learning it, right? And she'll continue that and minister um, in that place. And so we want to pray for her as well. So join me in prayer, if you would. Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a God who is worthy of our worship and our praise. We've been doing that. Now we worship you as we hear the word. God, I pray that, that, that more than just hear it, it the, the words, the sound would go into our ears. It, it, it would do whatever it does to become images and words in our, 
in our minds, but Lord, only you can make it get into our hearts so that we who are truly those who follow you, truly have been born again, transformed by the, the, the reality of Jesus Christ crucified and buried and, and raised from the dead, that we might grow and that we might honor you in every detail of life, in all of the spectrum that James mentions today. God, then I pray, I cry out, and, and I know my brothers and sisters are joining me, that if there is anyone here today who does not know Jesus, even if they've been deceived, Lord, oh God, how sad it would be for someday for that person to drop out of church, out of the faith, out of, um, out of at least a semblance of walking with you. May the reality of the gospel hit that person today and may they be saved. Lord, we pray for the Will Rogers ministry tonight. We pray that we would have an opportunity to share with not only the teachers, but the students that are there. Uh, Lord, what a great time that will be. And then we pray for Angela, who will be leaving tomorrow morning. We pray for her travels and for safety, and yet more than safety, we pray for effectiveness in ministry. Uh, Lord, just fill her with your spirit and with the grace that she needs to get the job done. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all of this. Now, guide us in our thoughts this morning as we consider this passage of Scripture. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Do you know what a knee-jerk reaction is? Have you ever heard the term? Do you know what it means? A knee-jerk reaction, this is the, the definition of it, but then I want to show you a graphic, is an instant, instinctive response to a situation. Sometimes that can be good, sometimes that can be bad. Now, it comes from the field of medicine. Knee-jerk reaction, when a doctor takes a little mallet, a little hammer, usually made out of rubber, as in this case, and he'll ask you to cross your legs, and then he will hit, and it's unbelievable. Now, I know some of you do not have any feeling at all in your legs, and so hit, 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 but for the most part, for the most part, it's, it's always amazed me how that I've thought, and really, I've done this before, I thought, I'm not going to jerk my knee. I'm not going to do it. And he hits that. He just knows right where to do it. Boom. Boom. And it goes up. That is the imagery from which we get the term knee-jerk reaction. Now, I use that because here is what James is saying to you today. Christian, you ought to have a knee-jerk reaction, an instant reaction response, an immediate response or reaction to every kind of situation in your life. And that knee-jerk reaction should be one that is honoring to the Lord. It should be gospel-centered. It should focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he does. You can look at your outline. And, and I'm, I'm going to go all the way through this, but let me give you that basic outline. 
And, and look at how James just covers the gamut. He starts out with suffering. Look down. Well, first of all, we'll look at the God-honoring attitude in a general sense. But then we get specific. What do you do in suffering, Christian? What's your knee-jerk reaction in, in suffering? Prayer. Drop on down. What is your knee-jerk reaction when things are going well, when you've got every one of your needs met in sufficiency? Trying to stay with the essence here. It's kind of interesting. James says you're supposed to sing praise. We'll come to that in a minute. Verses 14 and 15. If you have a sickness, here I use the word serious illness, what do you do? Knee-jerk reaction. If you've prayed and it has nothing has happened, then the knee-jerk reaction that James is telling you, you need to expand the circle. You need to call. You need to call for a specific group of people, the elders of the church, to come and pray over you. We'll consider that. And then in verse 16, the first part of it, what do you do when you're struggling? What do you do when you're struggling? And if you're not there, you will be or you have been. You expand the circle even more. You find a godly saint and you begin to share in mutual confession and in prayer. That's where we're going with this. So, let's look at the first thing we're going to do in verse 13. Uh, he says it like this. Again, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If any, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We must... Now, th this grows out of grace... Again, it's not one of those ought-tos or shoulds that is impossible. If you've been born again, then you and I need to cultivate a Godward and a God-dependent focus in all things. That's the summary of, this, of the entire book. That's the summary of the Bible. And James' questions include all of us. All of the spectrum of life's experiences, both in the good things that happen to us and in the bads, all of them, it doesn't matter if they are a result of something you have done or something that has been done to you. Now, in order to respond instantly and instinctively in a God-honoring manner, no matter what happens, you must have a Godward dependence and attitude and focus in everything. everything. Here is basically what that means. And I have said this in so many, so many different ways, so many different occasions. Seems like all of my preaching basically comes back to this. And here's what it means. Students, get this down. Adults, get this down. I, I, know, you, I know that you do this, but you've got to understand this is key to developing that Godward and God-dependent attitude. You have got to learn to see everything, both the good and the bad, as ultimately from God. Are you tracking? Everything, good and bad, ultimately from God and designed by Him for His glory and for your ultimate good. And even though I have said that before, I will say it over and over and over again. And people usually 
when, when they're, they're not used to this kind of teaching about the providence of God in all things. Sometimes they'll stop and say, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, pastor. What about the events in El Paso? What about the events in Dayton? People, I don't understand all of God's design, and I certainly never want to trivialize the pain that is in the world all around us today. But I do know, and you need to know, that the Bible speaks to this. Paul in Romans says this, and he starts out with this phrase, from him. It's easy for us sometimes to say, oh yeah, through him and to him are all things, but from him are all things. That's right. The good and the bad. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It, it, originally when I started working on this message and I always go through and I write down scriptures and sometimes you'll see the evidence of it on Sunday morning. I had about five scriptures and there were, I had to be very selective. But I boiled it down to two statements so that you can see this. I'm not making this up. And I'm trying to help you so that you can see whatever circumstance you are in, or if you get in some kind of circumstance, or if you're trying to interpret something that has happened to you in the past. And unless you have this God-word focus and God-dependent focus, your life is just going to kind of coast along, and sometimes it's going to be a mess. Paul not only says that in Romans chapter 11, but let's go back to the Old Testament, another Old Testament character, Joseph. And, and it's almost a, Romans is a commentary on the life of Joseph, or maybe vice versa. And here all this stuff had happened to him, and some of it had just happened, a lot of it, most of it was what, what people did to him, even his brothers. And, and here's what he said to his brothers at the very end of this experience. He said, guys, I know that you had evil intent. I know that you meant evil for me, but let me tell you something because I, by the grace of God, I've learned to develop a Godward focus so I know something that maybe you don't. God meant it for good. And he even goes prophetic on us. He doesn't realize what he's saying. He's just talking about the the remnant of his family, but, but, but prophetically, this is the picture of salvation to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The Bible absolutely verifies what we must develop. So, James begins this, this spectrum on, on the negative. Well, I did add another one there. I had scratched out, I have three. And let's just throw this one in for good measure. Romans 8, 28, everybody knows this verse. Or do you? Why don't you say it with me? You can cheat, you can look. And if I get lost, I'll cheat, I'll look. Say it with me, okay? But it, and, and make it count that this is how you develop your God word and God dependent focus. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good 
to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So James begins on the negative note, if you're suffering, and he basically asks, and let me ask, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, I just want you to respond internally. Is there anyone here who is suffering? then there is a knee-jerk reaction that James says you need to have. Okay, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Wow. James, really, you read through James and a lot of times people say that is such a, a negative book. It's just legalist. No, it's really not. James is not Captain Bringdown. Okay? He goes to the positive and he says, okay, if and I use the word sufficiency, this word, if you're cheerful, here are some other synonyms of that for for the word that, that he uses. If you're merry, if you're happy, and he asks, is there anybody here? And I would ask this morning, is there anyone here that meets that category this morning? But then James asks about a specific question. A third, he says, is there anybody who's sick? Anybody sick here? And then finally, he asks not only about a serious illness, but he asks, are you struggling with sin? Anyone here? Not just with sin, but with all manner of things. Are you struggling here today? So then he gives four knee-jerk responses that what I'm hoping in this message, at least it will give you a foundation to study, go back and say, Lord, I need to develop these. All right? So let's take off, let's do it, and uh, look at verse 13a. Suffering should drive us to, what's the knee-jerk reaction? When you're suffering, what should you do? Without even thinking, you should pray. Now this word suffering is, is expansive. It means Anything that has caused you loss, anything that has caused you hurt or trouble or affliction, it's expansive. And I think of that little hammer that the doctor uses to test your reflexes and he kind of taps you on the knee and it doesn't hurt. But I'm telling you what, the hammers in life, they hurt, don't they? And if you have ever been hammered by the, the hammer of suffering of any kind, from small to devastating, from momentary to long-term, then you know what I'm talking about. Has anybody ever had this experience? Now, I think probably more men than women have. And just think of how, how this is a picture of life. You, you mean well. You're trying to do something that's constructive, hopefully. And, and, and so you're, you're, you're holding, it doesn't show it here, but you're holding a, a, a nail or something, and, and you, you measure the stroke of the hammer very, very carefully, and then you bring the hammer down to drive that nail into the wood, and somehow the nail moves, and you hit your thumb. Knee-jerk reaction. Okay, Al is the uh, Baptist version. Okay, I don't want you to say 
what I have said sometimes. Knee-jerk reaction. When your life gets hit by the hammers in life, sometimes it is to cuss. And then it moves on. Stewing. Grumbling. Complaining. It's probably not your initial reaction to pray. And so let me just ask you this. In life, when you get hit by the hammer of suffering, is prayer your first response or your second or third or maybe your last response when someone that you're sharing with and and they're talking to you and you're talking to them about it and somebody says to you, and it's just a reminder, have you prayed about this? Knee-jerk reaction, first response, pray. Pray what? What do you pray? I've written down about several things. All you have to do is just write down the reference and, and... and what to pray about. And I'm talking about even hitting your thumb. I really am. And the things of daily life or the things that are long-term in your life that are, could be categorized as suffering. So let's look at them. You pray when you need help, okay? Now, instead of cussing when you hit your thumb next time, help me, Lord. Help me not to do that again. Just help me. Listen, that that is one of the basic cries that we ought to cry. Psalm 18.6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help. So you pray, you call out to God when you need help. Here's a second thing that you ought to do. When you don't know what to do. Is, Is there anybody in that situation today? And it could range from the youngest to the oldest. You, you, you just, you don't know what to do. It could be a relationship, a, a situation at work. It could be uh, any number of things. And you're just at a loss as to how to figure it out. Well, you, you cry out to God for help, but look at the prayer in Second Chronicles. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us, Lord. I am powerless in the face of this situation that I'm going through, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you. That's a Godward focus. A third thing to kind of lift you out of the, the, the despair and maybe raise you up, you, you need to pray because you need joy and wisdom. That ought to be the first thing you do. Oh, Lord, help me to count it joy because I'm encountering this this trial and I don't have the wisdom, Lord, so I'm asking you. You promised to give me the wisdom that I need in this situation. When you need joy and wisdom, James 1, 2, and 5. When you need grace to endure. James tells us that he gives a greater grace. He gives more grace. 
to endure. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You need help. You need to cry out to God. You need to pray when you need patience. Be patient in tribulation. And you need to pray when you need all of the fruit of the Spirit, the whole basketful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, fill me with your Spirit that I might manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And then the last one that I'm showing that I'm showing you is you need to pray for whatever you're going through so that you can have God show you, listen to this, how you can glorify him in your suffering. This is a story out of the life of Jesus. A man who was born blind, whose, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it, Jesus? He said, you don't have a Godward focus to his disciples. You need to understand something. The illness is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. In, in this case, it was healing. But you need this kind of attitude in case you have a long-term disability or, or a suffering where the Lord does not deliver you right now or in this life. The older I get, the more I pray about my death. If the Lord does not come back, I'm going to die. My wife always tells me, Jan always tells me, I want to go before you. Do any of you do that kind of thing with your spouse? We, we don't get to determine that under most cases, under most cases. But barring a return of the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone in this room is going to die. Have you ever thought about praying, Lord, in that time, I don't know what it's going to be. Will it be cancer? Will it be some kind of disease? Will it be an accident? I don't know. But Lord, would, would you prepare me and help me in that moment or in that time to glorify you in my death? as well as in my life. So, knee-jerk reaction. If you're suffering, what do you do? Pray. Okay, you got it, kind of. Let's move on. The next question, 13b. If you are happy, if you're cheerful, if everything is going your way, what do you do? Now, this is interesting. What do you do? Okay, it says praise. But that word literally means sing praise. It means to sing a hymn, to celebrate the praises of God in song. Let me just remind you how important singing praise is. We usually relegate that to Sunday morning as a prep to the sermon. Ah. Oh. We've missed it. Now, that, that's a good way to praise. But look at this, what Paul says. Now, if you're a Christian, then a part of your, your growth, part of your sanctification process is that you, you want to become more like Jesus and you cannot 
do that without being filled with the Spirit. That is a conscious decision. You are put into the body of Christ. The Spirit of Christ is put into you at the moment of salvation. But being filled with the Spirit is a conscious decision that you make every day. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And normally we think of doing things and we, all kinds of other stuff. But what is, according to Paul, the first visible sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God in your life? What is it? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so if you thought that James, in saying what he says, okay, if you're happy, if you're blessed, and all the rest of that sing praises, if you thought, well, that sounds a little off, it's really not. That is a picture of the joy-filled, spirit-filled life. It means joyful. Dustin and I was trying to apply this a moment ago as I was standing there and as we were singing. Joyful, exuberant, heartfelt singing is one evidence of being spirit-filled. Now, let me just ask you this. What do you think? Do you think it's easier, the easier command is to pray when suffering or to sing praises when you have all of your needs met and you're happy, which do you think may be the toughest one? Hmm. I don't know that I'd really given much thought to it. The spontaneous thing, I thought, well, I would think the toughest one. I'm not so sure that the toughest one would be to pray when you're Suffering. I think it might be just as difficult. And let me illustrate that for you in your own life. How many of you, and I just want you to think of this. Let me phrase it differently. How much of what happened to you, I really want you to think about this. How much of what happened to you this past week was good versus bad? I want you to just think about this. I want you to run a percentage, okay? What percent of the, 100% of your life this last week was good and what percent was bad? Are you, do, are you doing your calculation? I'm trying to read your faces. Now, unless your world fell apart this last week, and, and for some it did, I, I don't know, maybe not in this room, but I would say that the greater percentage for you is going to land on the side where things went fairly well for you. Okay. So, and, and, and again, be honest with yourself. Come on now. How much of your response during the week, beginning in the morning when you got out of bed and you could actually get out of bed and stand up, and, and go and do something, brush your teeth, that's constructive, or other things like that. How much did you stop, knee-jerk reaction, and sing a praise 
to God with your heart. Rocky, I know what you're thinking. How many of you know Rocky Hales? Rocky will always be a, a, a little bit depreciating of, of himself in terms of his singing. Okay? Gave all the talent to Doris, right? But even if you do not feel you can carry a tune in the proverbial bucket or wash tub, James says that the response, the knee-jerk response should be that when something good happens in your life, maybe you just made it through the day, you ought to let out a song. You're thinking, I'm not sure what song to sing. That shows how far we've come in not having that knee-jerk reaction that James says we ought to have. Why don't you just start out with the doxology and then take a hymn book or, or start listening to, to songs, good songs, on, on the radio station. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. He says to sing a song of praise. The tendency, here's the tendency, to forget God. Isn't it? Come on now. Isn't that the tendency? It's always been with the people of God that the tendency, when God just pours out His manifold blessings on us, is to forget. The psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he adds this, Forget not all of His benefits. We find Israel had a particular problem with that. He just blessed them over and over again. And the prophet Hosea said these words, God speaking to his people, I am the Lord your God from the land, um, but I am the Lord your God who brought you, that's a typo, from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full they were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, what did they do and what do we do sometimes? They forgot God. Just a question, how much did you thank God in your worship today, in your thanksgiving to God? Did you sing praises to Him a few moments ago? Let me share with you what that was. And I heard it. I, I was listen I always listen. I, I don't listen first to what's going on up here. I always turn my ear so that I can hear you singing because you're, you're really the choir. And to hear if you're singing. And I heard that this morning. And I know that many of you were giving joyful, exuberant, heartfelt singing as an evidence of being spirit-filled. That's, that's the definition of worship. Worship is what? Worth-ship. That's the word that it came from. Simply to say to God, you are worth it. To give ardent love, devotion, and expression of love. And one of the best definitions that I've seen of this Greek word that translates worship. You know what it literally means? It means to kiss the hand toward 
worship, to kiss the hand toward. What in the world does that look like? I've seen a lot of people define that. I, I saw one last week and I thought, wow, that, that really doesn't get it for me. He said, picture a dog licking the hand of its master. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe, but that doesn't really get it. But, but I saw one, this, this really, this grabs the essence of worship, to kiss the hand toward. Have you ever seen a movie or, or uh, a play or something like that where the, the guy is down below his girlfriend's window and she comes to the window, maybe it's like Romeo and Juliet or whatever, and she throws open the window and he is so much in love with her that he just bursts out in song singing his praise of her beauty and her love and all of the rest of that. And she said, shh, you'll wake up the neighbors. You'll wake up my dad. He doesn't care because he's so... But then he starts doing this. I love you so much. And sometimes my grandkids do this too. And it means so much. He starts doing this. I love you. Kissing the hand toward. with complete abandon because he is worthy of our praise and of our worship. You know, there, and, and I don't need, I'm preaching to the choir now, literally. But I've been in some churches where they desperately needed to hear this because their worship, their song was lifeless and listless and apathetic and that is not the kind of worship that God wants. And I saw this verse in Zephaniah. You probably know this verse. It says, the Lord is singing over you. Do you think he's lifeless and listless and apathetic? No, he loves you so much. Can you imagine that the great God of glory is singing over you? And can you imagine not singing back to him? In like manner. Third question. Well, the general statement, our, our, our outward God-dependent focus should be shared with God's people. Now, this is stuff that all goes on in the inside. But I want to finish out uh, real quickly. I moaned there because I just looked at the clock. I haven't looked at the clock my whole sermon. But I'm going to finish this because we need it, okay? Two questions. Here's the third one. Are you sick? That word means weak. It means no strength. It means powerless. It means disease diseased it means sick and what's the response call get help call for the elders of the church in other words bid them to come to you it doesn't mean that the elders line up and you come down to them it means you call and the picture is someone who is so sick he can't get out of bed he calls for the elders of the church and they are the ones who come and pray and anoint with oil in the name of the lord and pray for him. This is physical sickness. And I think the key to understanding this is in the two phrases, in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith. Here's what it looks like. I, I'm just going to give you an overview of what we do at our church. And I encourage you to do this if you, if you don't know that we do this. The understanding of our elders of this verse is 
that if you're sick or you have a, a debilitating injury, you call the elders to come to you. We will come and we will talk about your situation, just like James says. And we may ask you if you are aware of anything between you and God, a sin, or anything between you and another Christian that you need to confess. Now, not all sickness is tied to sin, but sometimes it is. And I believe that that's why James puts it in here. And then after that, we will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing, no healing power in the oil itself. That we will pray over you in faith, believing that God can and does heal, whether immediately or ultimately. We never pretend to know the will of God. But what we pray and how we pray, we pray in submission to his sovereign will in your situation. Knowing that he has a purpose for your illness, even if he chooses not to lift it. He has a purpose if he chooses to heal, and that's happened before. And he even have a, has a purpose if he chooses to heal you perfectly and take you home to be with him. And if God chooses to heal you immediately or chooses to leave you in that as a means to glorify him, you give him glory. Last thing, and let me just wrap this up. This is so powerful. And this is another expansion outward. If you're struggling with sin or discouragement or anything like that, find a godly saint and share in mutual confession and prayer. What will happen? You will be made whole. That's, that's the word here. It's a different word than the word healed in the previous verse. Here's what this is. This is a call for people in the church to practice the biblical ministry of restoration and of wholeness. Galatians, Paul says it like this. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I shared last week in my message, if, if you were here, we talked about lying. Do you remember the, uh, the answer to the question, who lies m more every day on the average, men or women? Men. This last weekend we went to uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and we had several things to do. I wanted to visit with my dad, who's 92. I wanted to also visit with a young lady, graduated with my son Jason. I married this young lady and her husband, and a week ago last Thursday, her husband took his life. Jan and I wanted to go by and visit with her and pray for her, and th there was just, there was a lot. 
you, you, what do you say? And, you know, you're listening. And one of the things she said, though, that really grabbed me in light of this, listen, men, women too, but women are more prone to share. And I thought of this. She said, you know, my husband was isolated. Just isolated. You know, they went to church. They were involved in church. They went to a, 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 an ABF. He said he was isolated. He never surrounded himself with a group or at least one other guy that he could, he could be honest with. And when you don't have that, sometimes men, you build a life of deceit and dishonesty and that's what had happened until the walls had closed in and he saw no way out. There's always a way out. And for all of you, let me just say, we don't want people just to come on Sunday morning, hear a sermon, go out, leave, and go back to your life and live your life in isolation. We want you to come, be a part of, we talk about Sunday school and ABF. We don't, I don't even know how many come to that. We're not into numbers. We want you to call, come so that you can develop a relationship with other people. And then to go another step when you meet those people and get to know them. To maybe sometimes step out and develop another relationship even closer with at least one other guy. And I'm saying this to men because I think we've got the bigger problem with it. But it goes for everybody. That if you're struggling, find a godly saint, a friend that you can share with in mutual confession and prayer. We go back to what I said at the first. If you don't know Jesus, this is all just going to be a lot of oughts and shoulds, and we don't want that. We want it to be life. Father, I pray now that today as we conclude our service that you by the power of your Holy Spirit would take your word, maybe even just a, a, a casual aside, I don't know, you, you do it in the way that you want to do it, that you would use your word in the life of the saints here called heritage. Lord, all of us find ourselves somewhere along the spectrum suffering or cheerful or struggling or sick. So give us that, that desire and then help us to work toward this knee-jerk reaction of being God-focused and God-dependent. Father, I cry out on behalf of anyone here today who does not know you, that today that person would see the magnitude of his or her sins against you. But the wonder and the beauty of Christ crucified for sins and for sinners like that person. That he died on Calvary's cross, he was buried, he was raised on the third day, and that today would be the day of salvation when that person would say, I turn away from my sins, I receive Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. So, Father, help us to respond appropriately now as we sing and conclude with a benediction. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?